It's great to be back. I was off uh, for six weeks on a sabbatical. We really, I missed you guys as a family and loved you, love you guys. It's great to see your faces and hope that uh, uh, you're doing well. And uh, thanks for, po- for providing me the opportunity uh, to rest. Uh, this is new for us as a pastoral staff uh, to do this uh, once you've hit 10 years of pastoral uh, ministry here. And uh, I think I needed it more than I realized. Um, and we just had a great time as a family here uh, in Colorado. Thought about uh, going out of state, but we live in such a, a great place here. And got to do some camping. Uh, went camping without the kids, just Amber and I. Haven't done that since our one year anniversary. And then we went camping with the kids. We're able to go to a cabin uh, for a week and do some rafting and go to the Great Wolf Lodge, just things that we don't normally do. And more time at home and time for some home projects and rest and and seeking the Lord. And today in my message, I'll be sharing some things that I gleaned uh, through uh, the sabbatical. And if uh, you would pray for Pastor Robert, he started his sabbatical on Friday, and so he'll be gone for uh, six weeks. And so thankful to him and Pastor Sean and Pastor Dan for teaching while I was gone, and we have such a great pastoral team. Team here and hope you got to know uh, Robert better as he taught through the, the book of James. It's a perfect book for, for Pastor Robert. I heard he brought back some Hawaiian shirts, so that, that's fun that uh, he, uh, he did that. And so it was just a really, really good time. We've got a few announcements uh, for you, and then this morning uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. But as far as uh, announcements, the school discipleship uh, does start uh, at the end of July. And the, this is really for those of us that are working, we're at, you know, beyond that college age, but really want to grow in our relationship with the Lord. So it's designed towards that. It's Tuesday evenings, his classes taught by the pastors, and then you serve and have a mentor. So it's not too late to apply for that. You do that online. The 719, the Young Adults Ministry, has a rafting trip, and that is coming up on Saturday, July 7th. You can sign up uh, for that. Also, we're hosting Eagle Lake camps here at our church. It's a, it's a community camp. If you're familiar with the Navigators and Eagle Lake Camp, they also bring camps uh, to churches. And you guys have provided uh, scholarships for kids in our community, and we're reaching out uh, to our neighborhood. But if you also know a child that's between age 7 and 12 that wouldn't be able to do something like this, uh, please let us know. We do have scholarships that we'd like to give uh, to kids. Uh, we'd love to fill this camp up, but it's also for kids in our church if you're interested in something for your child from age 7 uh, to 12. This Wednesday, there will be no Wednesday night uh, service with 4th of July, and the church will be closed. Just encourage you to enjoy family, enjoy friends, and share the love of Jesus Christ where you're at celebrating 4th of July. Women's Retreat uh, is coming up upon us September 7th through the 9th, ladies. And the theme is Grace, Strengthened Hearts. And then there's also a marriage retreat in September if you're interested. If you see junior high students in unique places this morning, it's because they are serving us. They're serving our church. They're not in the junior high room. They're doing acts and action. So they're doing children's ministry in the cafe and ushering. So if you see uh, one of them, just encourage them and tell them thank you for uh, serving us uh, this, this morning. So that's it in the way of announcements. We're in Psalms 90 this morning. And then next week we'll start the book of Ruth. If you want to read ahead, we're going to start the book of Ruth next Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. 
Thank you for our church family, Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's so good to, to see familiar faces and to, to be together again. And as we open up the word, we ask that you would change our perspective, that you would allow our, our perspective to be renewed on who you are, the time that you've given us in, in this life, the grace that you have for us. God, I pray for those that just need to hear from you this morning. We all need to hear from you this morning. That you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and that you would lead us and guide us into truth. We do thank you for, for Robert and ask that you would bless him on his sabbatical and just allow him to rest and encourage him. We thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Perspective is so interesting. Our outlook is so interesting. Think about maybe five years ago the way that you looked at something. And how has that perspective changed in five years? Or how did you see something 10 years ago or, or 15 year, years ago? Definitely a perspective changes. Even through a given day, sometimes our perspective or outlook uh, changes. You may start the morning and you happen to get in the word and have some prayer time and your perspective is upon the Lord, but then something happens throughout the day, maybe midday, around lunchtime, and by two o'clock we can be in despair, can't we? By two o'clock in the afternoon, we can be uh, despondent. So perspective changes over time. P perspective changes throughout uh, the day. And while I was away, I was really praying through and meditating upon the Psalms. And one thing I noticed in the Psalms is oftentimes there's a change of perspective. Have you noticed that? A lot of Psalms begin with frustration or, or venting an honest, authentic relationship with the Lord. God, this is where my soul is. And then all of a sudden, the psalmist turns to praise and, and singing. And you're like, what happened here? Is the psalmist schizophrenic? You know, is it, is it like bipolar, you know, two personalities inside of, of this person? No, it's what happens when we spend time with God. It's what happens when we take our concerns before the Lord and we, we focus upon the Lord, then it moves us to a place of, of praise and, and singing. What's unique about this psalm is you'll notice in the introduction, it says a psalm of Moses. This is the only song that uh, is written by, by Moses. It seems to be that he's going through the wilderness journey when he writes uh, this, this song. And Moses had probably one of the most difficult jobs in all of scripture in terms of life and leadership. Everybody was really excited when they left Egypt, but when they got into the wilderness, found themselves grumbling and complaining, and it was always either God's fault or Moses' fault, right? So he's leading this mass group of people through the wilderness, and we see Moses' perspective and him wrestle with perspective a bit in Psalms 90. So I hope that your perspective, our perspective, is renewed this morning. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. He begins this psalm by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He's thinking of the people of God as a whole. He's thinking of the nation of Israel as a whole. If you're traveling through the Sinai Peninsula, you would appreciate a dwelling place. It's a wilderness, it's a desert, it's hot. I bet oftentimes they longed for a permanent dwelling place, having to put up their tents and take them down and, and journey a little bit longer. Like I mentioned, we went camping. I love camping, but I would not want to camp permanently. You know, three days of camping and I'm ready for a shower. Amen? All right? And so here they are in the wilderness, and Moses is reflecting, even though we don't have a physical home, God, you have been our dwelling place 
for generations. You've been faithful to us over generations. You think about the generations that Moses would have been reflecting on. He's thinking of Abraham. God, you've been faithful to Abraham. You've been faithful to Isaac. You've been faithful to Jacob. You've been faithful to Joseph. And you're faithful to us as well. We get concerned about the evil that is around us. And we get concerned for our kids and our grandkids, future generations. But we need to be encouraged that no matter how evil things get, God is a faithful refuge. God is more than capable. He is sufficient for us to be able to come and abide in him no matter what the difficulty is. Think about what some prior generations have gone through. The Dark Ages was a brutal time, but yet God was a faithful refuge. You think of the generation of World War II. Going through the Depression, then going into to World War II and the Holocaust, it's been titled the, the greatest generation. Well, they went through the most difficulty, but God was faithful, wasn't he? And he was a faithful dwelling place. And we hear the stories of God's faithfulness uh, throughout that. And God's going to be faithful in our generation as well. And he's going to be faithful in future generations. So what's your perspective of God? This is Moses's perspective outlook upon God. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what does come to your mind when you first think about God? What you believe about God is so important. And you, like me, probably at times need our perspective renewed about the Lord as we look to who he is and his, his faithfulness. Verse two, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Throughout this psalm, Moses is looking at time. And here he contrasts God's eternal nature with creation. And he says, before creation, before the mountains were, God was in his existence. When we think of the mountains, there's a certain level of security or stability with, with the mountains. Well, wouldn't you be so freaked out if you woke up one morning and Pikes Peak was east of us instead of west of us? Some of you that live on the east side of town are like property values just went way up, right? The west side of town, like it went, it went way down. I mean, we've been looking west and seeing Pikes Peak and Pikes Peak's changed a little bit with the, the f- fire that we had. But for the most part, it, it's the same. You, you wake up every day and you, you look to, to the mountains. You think of all of the generations that have lived in the shadow of, of Pikes Peak. There's some security there. But Pikes Peak was created by God. It, it had a beginning point. And Pikes Peak will have an ending point. We know that all of creation eventually will, will be burned up. But who is God? God is from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses has a difficult life. He's in the midst of the wilderness. There's a lot of ups and downs. But he says, what is my stability? Is God your everlasting? You're from everlasting to everlasting. I know some are really going through a hard time this morning. Maybe it's difficulties with finances, difficulties in in health, difficulties in, in relationships. Maybe you feel like you're in a wilderness and it's been a long time since you've, you've heard, heard God's voice. Be encouraged. God is everlasting to everlasting. He's a faithful dwelling place for us. If you're taking notes, verses three through 11 is the perspective of man. 
Moses just begins to, to process humanity a little bit and his outlook upon the nature of man. He says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. Moses is the giver of the law. God gave the, the law to Moses for Moses to give to, to the people. He fell short of the law. The children of Israel fell short of the law. And so because of that, there's destruction. And that's what Moses is experiencing. He's saying, you're turning man towards destruction. But then Moses also knows the redemptive voice of God, where God's saying, return, come back to me. And that's always the heart of God, that we would come back to him, no matter how bad we've blown it or how bad we're, we're in sin. In verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. A, a thousand years, what's a thousand years to God in his eternal existence? Well, it's simply like yesterday to us. So Moses is trying to get a perspective of time in relation to, to eternity. He's, it's like yesterday when it's past. It's like a, a watch in the night. What's interesting about time and, and past is it doesn't matter if something is five minutes in the past or 500 years in the past, it's still in the past, isn't it? You know, maybe yesterday, or maybe 100 years ago, but you can't go back. It, it, it's gone. So he starts to think about humanity in verse 5. You carry them away like a flood. They are like sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it cut down, is cut down and withers. All three of these illustrations are quick and then when they're done, they're over. So the first is a flood. A flood comes in and comes out usually pretty quick. Yesterday, we had a pretty good rainstorm here in, in Colorado Springs. A lot of water came in. We're thankful for that, that water. But then it goes out really quickly. And that's our lives in contrast to eternity. It comes and goes pretty, pretty quick. Sleep comes and goes too quick, doesn't it? Can I get an amen this morning, right? right? It just, oh man, it just feels too short. It's not time for, for the al alarm clock. And that's like our lives. It's, it's quick. And then grass. Grass, it flourishes, but it has a short season. And then it, it passes away. And this is our lives as well. In verse 6, excuse me, verse 7. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we, we are terrified. Remember, God's covenant with the nation of Israel is one that's based on law. God even said to the children of Israel, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. The law, if you obey, but if you disobey, you're, you're going to be cursed. What covenant do we live under in the New Testament? Grace. Where it's not Mount Sinai, but it's Mount Calvary, where Jesus died for us. And Jesus took the punishment for our sins so it's not based on what we do to receive God's blessing, but it's based on what Christ has done. But Moses, under the law, he's saying, we're terrified. We're, we're consumed by your anger. We know that we have fallen short. We, we know that we have, have messed up. As we follow the journey of the children of Israel and Moses, they get to the promised land and God's ready to take them in, but the children of Israel have a lack of faith, of unbelief, so they're not able to go into the promised land and they die in the wilderness. Moses isn't able to go into the promised land because he loses his temper. 
He gets angry at the, the children of Israel. He was supposed to speak to the rock, but instead he hit the rock. The, the law doesn't allow for sin. The law doesn't allow for mistakes. So God says, you didn't hallowed my name. You didn't accurately convey my name. I wasn't angry. You, you were angry. So Moses, you don't get to go into the promised land as well. But the neat thing about Christ in the New Testament is who got snuck into the promised land. Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there because it's a covenant of grace. Christ brings them into the promised land. But their experience with God is one of, we know that we're consumed by your anger. And apart from Christ, that's where we would be as well. In verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. He's saying our, our sin is before you. Our secret sins, those things that we have, have hidden, is, is in the light of your countenance. And here's Moses just kind of wrestling through his perspective on time and his days and humanity. He says, for our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Do you ever feel that way? You're like, oh, the only thing good about today is that it's over. And I get to go to bed. Oh, you know, another birthday. I'm just so glad I'm one year closer to heaven, right? And you just kind of picture Moses going through the wilderness with this grumpy, complaining group of people, and he's like, we're just finishing our years with, with a sigh. We're, we're underneath your punishment. Could there be anything more? Thankfully, there is, as we'll continue to read through this psalm. Verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Interesting, Moses wrote this so long ago, but it's still true to this day. An average lifespan is 70 years. If you live to be in your 70s, well, that's about average. You know, you've gone home to be with the Lord right on time. If you live to be in your 80s, well, you get to boast a little bit. You know, you lived a little bit longer than, than average. If for some reason you get to live to be 100 years old, it's almost like you got an extra lifetime there, there, there at the, the end. That, that's all we get, 70 to, to 80 years. And that, that is if our life doesn't end prematurely. And as Moses is wrestling, this is what he says is filled with life, is only labor and sorrow. Just, just labor and sorrow. I don't really have anything to look forward to. It's just going to be hard. It's going to be heartbreaking. There's just more, more sorrow to come. And sometimes that, that is our perspective, and that is reality to, to some degree. There is labor and sorrow, but there is more as well. In verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. If we don't have the grace of God, if we don't have Calvary, the anger of God and the wrath of God, and it's justified. It, it's a righteous anger because of our sin. Who can know it? In verse 12, we now see a perspective of time. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this is where Moses begins to crawl out of the hole a little bit. And as we wrestle through perspective and talk with the Lord, I think it's important to be honest with the Lord, but then start to move towards request. Lord, would you start to change my perspective? Would you help me to see some things that, I, that I'm not, not seeing Moses' prayer is, is, God, would you teach us to number our days so that we can gain a, a heart of wisdom, so we can use our days effectively? Moses knows that apart from God helping him, 
he's not going to accurately view time. Most of the time, we think we have more time than we actually do. I would imagine if we do live to be 70, 80 years old, we're going to come to our deathbed and go, where did the time go? Right? We already feel that way. Like, man, it just seems like time has gone so fast. This year and on this sabbatical, God's been speaking to me in this issue, in this area of time, and counting time and gaining a heart of wisdom. The first thing that happened earlier this year is in March, I turned 40. And it messed with me a little bit. As January and February came, I started thinking, oh man, I'm going to be 40. I don't really like the the sound of that. And doing the math and going, okay, what if I live to to be 70 years old? I I don't have a ton of time left. And a lot of the Cartier men, so uh, on the males in my side of the family, we don't live long. So unless I get some genes from my mom's side of the family, I'd be really fortunate to, to, to make it to, to uh, 70. Many times in the 60s, it seems like Cartier men uh, pass away. So I responded in kind of a weird way in January and February. I was like, I'm going to try to be the healthiest I've ever been so I don't feel so bad about being 40. And I got this idea that I would try to run a half marathon for my, my 40th birthday. And I was doing more running than I'd ever, ever done before in January and February. But the day after my birthday, I left for Uganda. And as I was in Uganda for a couple of weeks, and I came back, and it was Easter, running ran away. It, it just left my, 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 my weekly routine And my whole motivation for for running was not, God, I want to glorify you. God, you've given me this body. I want to be a good steward of you. It was based out of of fear and insecurity of maybe I can control this a little bit. I think we do need to be good stewards of our bodies and, and try to be healthy. But even after we've done all that we can do, it's in God's hands. Agreed? Right? And then with this of turning 40, also my oldest daughter is now 14, and she'll be 15 in, in October, and entering into high school, and, and driving in the, in the near future, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm going, is this really me, you know? Am I the 40-year-old guy with a, a 14-year-old daughter? And, and the answer is yes, right? So I'm evaluating time, and looking, looking at my life, and then it was interesting, and in having uh, this, this six weeks off, um, it messed with me a little bit, because Normally, you know, in the summer, I might take two weeks off. Some, some years, I might take three weeks of vacation at, at, at once. But if you're gone for two weeks from work, you go, I, I know I'm going to be back soon. So I can just kind of put work over here and, and go have fun, and then I'll come back to work. But, but six weeks, it was, it was long enough where I was going to have to deal with some extended time. And some extended time that wasn't filled with, with busyness and it started to unravel me a little bit. The first 10 days of, of this sabbatical, I really wasn't myself. I was pretty irritable. I didn't know what to do without my phone telling me everything that, that I needed to do. And during the, the six weeks, by the end of it, I had de- decompressed a lot. And I was noticing some, some different behaviors and some different uses of time. And I was a lot more present in conversations. If someone was talking with me or, or to me, 
I wasn't in the back of my mind somewhere else thinking about something that I needed to get done or, or thinking about I need to get to this appointment. And I confess to you that my normal rhythm is one of uh, I, I overfill my, my calendar and I overfill my, my schedule. And my assistant knows that like on Thursdays I, I do appointments and she schedules some appointments for me. And I know if there's some holes or gaps in that, I schedule a few more. You know, and then I, I, every little nook and cranny of time I'm trying to, to be, to be pr- productive with. So if I have a lunch appointment at noon, a lot of times I'll, I'll try to get as much work done as I can uh, until I leave for that lunch appointment. And I know, okay, it's, it's roughly 12 minutes away. So, you know, I'll, I'll re- leave at 11.50 and drive, drive really fast, right? And you, then you see your pastor like cutting you off. You're like, man, who's that jerk? <laughs> my pastor. He just, he just cut me off. And it doesn't leave any margin for construction, right? That's the new season here in Colorado Springs is construction. We have the season of construction. Or if, if someone catches me and, and they want to talk with me and they, they want to have a conver- conversation uh, uh, with me, and so as I return to kind of normal life, if you would, I'm praying that God would teach me to find a, a new pace, and I'm learning, and I, I think that this is true, by being super busy, we are actually not more effective. We're not more effective. And in our culture, being busy is a, is a badge of honor. If someone asks you, how are you doing? What do you say? Oh man, I'm so busy, right? Because if we say, you know what, I, I've just got a great pace going, and I, I'm actually just not too busy. They look at you like, you're a loser, you know? What do you mean that you're, you're, you're not too, too busy? So bear with me and to try to see this, this illustration. Two, two things that have kind of been a little bit of new, new hobbies for me. One is, as you know, I bought an old truck this spring, a 1978 Chevy truck for $500 and uh, working on it and some friends have been helping me. But as I've been learning about working on this truck, you can't be in a hurry. And if you're in a hurry, it actually goes worse. So, so say there's one thing that, that you want to fix, you know? Like I, we were, my wife and I were, were fixing the windows. The windows didn't really roll down, and so we needed to get inside the mechanisms and, and just get all the junk out and, and oil them with WD-40. And I'm, I always think, okay, this is going to be pretty quick, and it won't take very long, and get in there and get after it and working hard and fast. And by the time I'm done, I've broken two more things, so I went to fix one thing, but then I broke two more things because the truck's old. So, so all the plastic and all the, and so you've got to treat it with care and be gentle, gentle with it. So to be more effective, you actually have to slow down. And last summer I started playing a little bit more golf, maybe three or four times a year instead of once every three years. And golf is counterintuitive. Like the more that you're in a hurry, the worse you do. The harder you try, the worse you do, right? The more you can just relax and, and be calm, the, the better that that, that, game, that game goes. And I would suggest to you this morning that life is a lot the same way. If we overfill our schedules, overfill our calendars, we're actually going to waste a lot of time that God has given to us. Think about the rhythm and the pace that Jesus set. Jesus was very effective. Would you agree with his time? But do you get the sense that Jesus was busy or stressed out or frazzled? 
seems very present with the Father, very present with people, and his first agenda and priority was to spend time with the Father. And when the Father said withdraw, he said yes. Even at some crazy times. The disciples are in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is up on a mountain praying. Like, what is he doing up there? His most loved disciples are, are in a storm because his priority was spending, spending time with the Father. And when Jesus was led by the Father to serve someone, he said yes, even if it didn't make sense. And so he went to a, a different rhythm. And, and what I've realized personally through this time away is I'm not very good at resting. And even when I have a day off and I won't be here at the church, I'll just fill it with work at home. And I would encourage you, what's your perspective on time and especially what's your perspective on rest? And you've got a good shepherd that wants to lead you to still waters, green pastures, to slow down a little bit and say, okay, what are some things that I don't need to fill quite so much on my, on my calendar so that I can gain a heart of wisdom? so that I can be present with the Lord and present in relationships. In verse 13 through verse 17, we see our last point, which is the perspective on grace. It says, return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. So Moses is saying, you know, basically we've messed up, we, we deserve your wrath, but now he begins to ask for God's compassion for God's mercy, and for God's grace. He's saying, return, O Lord, how long? We feel that way many times in our suffering. God, would you please come back, and would you please return, and would you have compassion on your servants? Moses had a great understanding of the character and nature of God. In Exodus 33 and 34, he asks if he can see the glory of God. A wonderful prayer. God says, you can't see my face, but my backside will pass before you. I want you to hide in, in this rock. And then God speaks this to Moses. This is Exodus 34. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. It's one thing if I told you this is who God is, if Moses said this is who God is, but this is God declaring his nature. And he says, this is who I am. I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm long-suffering, I abound in goodness and in truth. For God to be merciful means that he doesn't give us the judgment that we deserve. Grace is that he lavishes us favor upon us, so instead of punishing us, he gives us his favor. God's long-suffering is his patience, his compassion with us, his goodness, and his truth. And so because Moses knows this about God, he knows he can rely upon the grace of God. And he can ask for the grace of God in his life. And verse 14 says, Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Saying, God, would you give your mercy to us quickly? If you're going to deliver your mercy to us, can we be on the Prime schedule? Amazon Prime, can you get that to us fast in two or, two or three days? God, would you, would you grant this morning mercy to us? And as you think about yourself, your family, kind of your, your tribe, your clan, cry out for God's mercy and say, God, would you, would you please give mercy and grace to me afresh. And this is really the second lesson for me in this uh, sabbatical 
And it was an interesting uh, journey, and I didn't even realize it going into this, but about a week before I left for a sabbatical, I get a text from a good friend in Denver. He pastors a church in Denver, and we, we stay in touch primarily through text, but he sends me a text, and he says, I just got off a plane, and God's really put you on my heart. Can we get together for lunch uh, uh, tomorrow? And normally, I would, I would go... I don't have the time, <laughs> especially with it being the, the last week of work before this uh, sabbatical. But I could sense the urgency in this text, and I said, yeah, let, let, let's get together for lunch. So we got together for lunch on the north end of town, and, and uh, sit down, and we talked for like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, and just the normal conversations of, of life and church and those type of things. And then, then he stops, and he looks me in the eye, and he says, you know what, Eric, God, God really put you on my heart, and I, I think that you're living in condemnation, that you go through most of your days feeling like uh, you don't measure up. And it was like a bomb just hit me right when he, he said that. And right in the middle of the taco shop, I just start crying. And I didn't, I didn't know what to say. It was true. And that, that's exactly how I go through most of my days. And I got to tell you, it's not my most favorite thing to do to cry in the taco shop, right? <laughs> you know, it's, I, I do everything possible to try to, try to be able to uh, avoid that. So we talk a little bit more. He hands me a, a book and says, why don't you read this? It's really, really helped me. Uh, read it while you're on uh, sabbatical. And I, and I go home and uh, Amber and the kids, uh, they're home and they're like, how was, how was your lunch? And I'd sit down at the kitchen table trying to tell them about the lunch, and I'd cry for like an hour at the kitchen table, you know? And I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, why is, why is this touching me to such a, to, to such a, a, a core? And, and the kids are like, Dad, what's wrong? And I'm like, well, my friend took me to lunch, and he read my mail. And, and, and they're like, that confused him even more. They're like, what <laughs> they hardly know what mail is anymore, right? You know? And I've got to be honest with you that a lot of times, even though I teach grace and I, and I believe grace in my heart, I, I feel like I don't measure up. And I have a lot more of a, of a law-based relationship with God where I feel like I need to do all these things. And if I do all these things, then, then God, you can bless. But if I fall short, and I do, and if I sin and I do, then I beat up on myself and tend to, to live in, in condemnation. And, and through that lunch uh, with my friend and, and into the sabbatical, I felt a layer get pulled off of my soul, and it was a layer of condemnation. And notice what Moses says here is he says that we may rejoice and be glad in all of our days. That sounds very different than labor and sorrow, doesn't it? That's a different perspective on time. He's saying if we're living in God's grace and we're living in God's mercy, it's going to cause rejoicing. It's going to cause gladness in, in, in our hearts. And I've got to tell you from personal experience, when I'm trusting in God's goodness and the work of Christ upon the cross, not my own performance, there's a lot more freedom. There's a lot more joy and there's a lot more gladness in my heart. And in both of these areas, I don't have it figured out. I know it's going to continue to be a challenge with time. It's going to continue to be a challenge to live in grace. But this is the right perspective of grace, is saying, Lord, would you be merciful? Would you be gracious and expecting him to answer? Because that's who he is. In verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. God, would you make us glad? I think this is a very wise prayer. To say, Lord, would you cause me to be glad? even though I'm in the wilderness, even though that there's difficulty? Would you redeem this affliction and this, this evil that we've seen? 
Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. God, we want to see your work. We want to know that you've worked and we want our children to see your glory. In praying for grace and relying upon grace, a great thing to pray for our kids, our grandkids, the next generation. May they really see your glory. What's interesting is God answered this prayer. It was the next generation that got to go into the promised land. It was the next generation that got to see the walls of Jericho fall and no longer live in tents. They experienced God's glory even in a greater way. And here's a very practical way to rely upon and pray for God's grace in your life. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. That's grace. That's God's countenance shine upon us. God, would you give me your favor? Would, would the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us? And would you establish the work of our hands? Yes, establish the work of our hands. At some point in our lives, we realize, I can't establish the work of my own hands. I do my best, I fall short. I do my best, I fall short. And this is a prayer of saying, God, would you take what I do every day and would you establish the work of my hands? The time that I have, would you make it meaningful? The time that I have with my wife and my kids and work and all the things that fill our days, Lord, would you establish the work of our hands? And I think this is what God's waiting for. Because if we're working independently apart from him and his grace and something goes well, who gets the credit? We do. We go, wow, I sure worked hard. And let, let me write a book to tell everybody else how to be able to do it, right? When we get to a place of our own depravity, our own brokenness, our, our team is broken, and we say, Lord, we, we know we don't have it together, but would you be gracious and God blesses, we're very quick to say, you know what? That was the Lord. That's because he's merciful, he's compassionate, and he's gracious. Guys, do you know that the law is broken and formulas don't work in life? A lot of times we're looking for, if I do A plus, plus B, it's going to equal C. That, that's the way life's going to go. That's not the way life goes. Because a lot of times we can't accurately do A plus B. But let's say even we somehow succeed in being able to do A plus B. It still doesn't equal C, right? What, what is the formula? There's no formula because it's Jesus. We need to be looking to Jesus and relying upon his grace and the freedom of that and not relying upon our own strengths and our own efforts. So that's been a, a bit of my journey this last uh, six weeks is seeing a, a new perspective on time, a new perspective upon God's grace and really wanting to rely upon God's grace. What do you think it would take this morning for our perspective to be able to change? Because in the midst of life and the challenges and in daily battles, our perspective goes off. And it's going to be a little bit different for all of us, but I think it's all going to tie, tie back to time with the Lord. Take a walk with the Lord. Take 15 minutes, a half hour, and talk with him and listen to his voice and See how your perspective changes. Maybe pick up the book of Psalms and say, you know what, for, for the summer, into the fall, I'm just gonna meditate upon the Psalms. Maybe read one or two, two Psalms a day. Through, through God's word, our, our perspective changes. Through worship, our, our perspective changes. Singing, singing to the Lord, you know. Put on some worship music and begin to, to sing to the Lord. See how God's perspective changes. You know, it's, it's times with a, another brother or sister in Christ that changed our perspective. My perspective changed because 
my friend took the time to come down from Denver and, and speak into my life. As we spend time with believers, a lot of times our perspective changes. But I do know this. If there isn't something in us that where we, we, we take time to pursue the Lord, most likely our perspective won't change. Isn't that true? You know, if, if we just kind of say, business as usual, I'm just going to keep going at the, the pace that I'm going. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to seek the Lord then our perspective is probably not going to to change. So let's pray uh, together. Father, we thank you for your grace. And we do believe your grace. We share your grace. We've experienced your grace. But a lot of times, we still live in condemnation. God, I pray for those this morning that are in that, that place that they feel like they don't measure up. They see their shortcomings, they see their sin, they see their failure, and it results in obligation and, and burden and bondage. God, would you help us to really know how much you love us, how compassionate you are, how gracious you are, that you, Jesus, have died for us, have risen again, and that you would peel off that, that layer of condemnation. Father, you see us. You see us in our busyness and us filling our time with all kinds of things and, and not resting. And God, would you help us? Would you help me to find a different pace? A pace that's led by, by the Holy Spirit of knowing when to rest and when, when to go 100 miles an hour. We don't want to miss the time that you have, have given to us. Lord, as we worship, would you continue to minister to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.